Well, it's good to see y'all tonight. We've been doing some studying in a book. Uh, anybody recall what book it was? First Peter. Of course, we might be everywhere all over the book, but I mean, we've still been there. So if you will, take your Bible and turn to, uh, what's a good chapter? All right, chapter 2. First Peter, chapter 2. The Bible says, Be thou an example of the believer. And then he also gives us some uh, good examples in the Bible so we can have something to follow. And he tells us in verse 21, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. Years ago, it was right after I trusted the Lord, um, my father-in-law told me about a book called In His Steps. Anybody ever heard of the book In His Steps? It was a, a little booklet, not a thick booklet, but it was just that um, somebody decided to, that whatever they would do, they would just say, you know, what would Jesus do? This was before they came out with the bracelets and all that stuff. But in his steps means that um, every step that I take in life, it's going to be, you know, what would Jesus have me to do? And so they begin to do this, and they cause a great revival. It was a made-up story, but it was a great story, and just warmed my little pea-picking heart. And I said, I, I don't know what all it is and where it's going to lead, but I want to I wanna follow in his steps. I want to I wanna be like the Lord. I want to do what he does. Now, one of the things that when he says that he is an example, it doesn't mean for you to take and see if you can fly. <laughs> I wouldn't try that. Or if you can walk on water. I, I wouldn't try that either. Or I wouldn't go to the hospitals and try to raise the dead. I don't think that you would come out shining too brightly. There are some things, though, and he gives us an idea the things that he did, the way that he was, the attitude that he has. Like when he talks about, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And was one of hum humbling himself and becoming a man and uh, submission. And uh, those are words we don't like to hear, submit. I actually had a man and a woman, they came to my office and they wanted to get married. I sat there and I counseled them. And so finally I asked him, I said, why do you want to marry her? And he went into a state of shock. He couldn't say a word. I said, why, why do you want to marry her? And he, she looked at him and says, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> I said, because you love her. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so when I went through the a little uh, spill that I always ask him to, you know, I'm going to say this and you say I do and I'll say this and you say I do. And I, I, I made the mistake, and I read the one part out that I will love, honor, and obey. She said, oh, 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 she said, wait, 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 wait. She says, you can take that out. I says, take out what? She says, the word obey. You can take that out. I says, you don't want that word in there? She says, no, that's not going to be in there. I looked at him, and I says, uh, what do you want to do? He said, well, I guess you have to take it out. I thought, you you mouse. <laughs> anyway, I stopped it right there, and I would not marry him. You say, why, why? That, that's cruel of you to do that. They plan on getting married, yes. And she loves him. She ought to submit to him like the book says. If you're not going to submit to the man, leave the man alone and let him get him a wife that will submit. And if there's a man out there who wants to be ruled by a woman, then fine, let it be. But uh, I'm not going to do it unless I see that there's a reason to override the word of God. I believe that marriage is just that, is submission to each other and to the Lord. 
So anyway, uh, I didn't marry everybody that I counseled, and then someone got married in spite of me. But um, notice what he says here in 1 Peter. This is an important issue because he also makes a statement there in verse 21. For he even hereunto were you called. You are called to suffer. Now we read that word this morning. Be sure of your calling. Understanding God has called you in this life. If he doesn't give you any life to live, there's no reason for a calling to do anything at all. But he has called us to preach the gospel, and he's told us how he wants us to live, and he's told us that you're going to suffer in this world. And so um, he says, now here's, here's what I want you to do. Now it's okay if you suffer, and you take it patiently because of something that somebody else did, but if you did the wrong and you take it patiently, he says, that's not suffering for Christ's sake. That's because you were dumb. You made some bad decisions. And don't say everything that happens to me, well, it was the Lord's will. It was the Lord's will. Not everything's the Lord's will. It is the Lord's will that we all walk in good works. So when you walk in bad works and do the things that are wrong and God has to chasten you, uh, don't call it, well, you know, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, you're suffering because you're rebellious and he's chastening you. But do understand the difference. So he makes a statement by he called us to suffer. And then he gives us a wonderful example. So look in verse 22. You and I are not going to live a perfect life. But he's trying to give us the idea of you're going to suffer in this world. People are going to do you wrong. He says, if they will do this to me, just think what they're going to do to you. That's in Matthew chapter 10 when he told his disciples to go and to preach the gospel and so forth. And he told them about the things that they're going to be afraid of, things that could happen. So he says in verse 22, concerning Christ, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. That means no deceit. He didn't do anything in a deceptive way at any time. And as you read the scriptures, you find in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, when he talks about uh, not using the word of God in a deceitful manner. Maliciously, you, taking scripture and trying to make it say what you want it to say. Let the scripture say what it says. And then he says here in verse 23, who, referring to Christ, who when he was reviled, that means with contemptuous language, he reviled not again. In other words, he did not render evil for evil. Now, this is also mentioned in the book of Romans in chapter 12 and also chapter 13. Don't render evil for evil. If people do you wrong, you don't have to do them wrong back. And the reason is because, well, you have an example of someone who came into this world who did everything right and suffered for it. But look at him now. He's at the throne of God, and he's high and lifted up, and every knee will bow one day to him. So when he was here, yes, they humiliated him, they shamed him, whatever. So if people do that to you, don't worry about it. God has a higher calling for you. So he also says here, he says, when he suffered, he threatened not. If you suffer because of somebody, I'll get even with them if it's the last thing I do. We want to, you know, even the scales. That's not fair. Have you ever noticed little kids? They have an uncanny sense of fairness. You know, of, of a piece of pie that might be one bite bigger than the other one. They, they can tell this. And so I always made sure that when my mama, she made some stuff, and, you know, I had a brother that was four years younger than I was. And uh, it was always, you know, he wanted the biggest piece. Well, what piece do you think I wanted? The biggest piece. 
He says, I said, now you give me the biggest piece. That's not what Jesus was. Well, I'm not Jesus. You be Jesus. <laughs> no. But, you know, this is what you ought to do. Give me the biggest piece. That way I'll be happier and you'll be happier because you, you surrendered. Wasn't that wonderful? And you try to manipulate somebody and you can use scripture. Or you can use, uh, you know, thought, reason, philosophy. Talk anybody out of something, you know. Yeah, we don't do things like that, do we? But notice what he says. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now, there is someone who sees everything. Someone who sees how somebody is treating you. Their motives, all their actions, their words. So God says, I am a righteous judge and I see everything. God says, I keep the books. So instead of you having to get even with people who wrong you, Commit yourself to the one who judges righteously and let God deal with them. Did you know that God will deal with them a lot better than you can? And then you don't have to worry about trying to get even with everybody who does you wrong. I have made sure that there have been a few people in my lifetime that I've had to warn. And I tell them, I said, now look, I want you to understand. I am God's child. I'm not maybe his pet child, but I'm one of his favorites. And I says, look, because I'm God's child, and if I'm serving the Lord, you better be careful what you say about me. Because my daddy, he don't like it. And my daddy's going to slap you good. And I, I mentioned this at one time, and I had mentioned this to y'all in Minnesota. When there's two guys up there, oh, they hated me. And all I had done is preach the gospel, and they were preaching that you had to keep the law to be saved. So... The one guy died of a heart attack. While they were doing his funeral, the other guy got up. And he says, this man is dead today because of that preacher from Colorado. And he went on. He started lambasting me, you know, and just going through it. And I done warned him. And right in the middle of the funeral service, while I was having this guy's funeral, he dropped dead of a heart attack. Did you know it scared some people? Because they know that, listen, don't dishonor God's man if God has somebody and he's laid his hand on them, you better be careful of saying things against God's people. But that goes also for your wife and for your husband, for your children. If people are living a godly life, you better be careful saying things against them. Because God, your heavenly, their heavenly Father, is going to, he could slap you hard. And he can deal with you. And so you don't want to be messing around with God's people. Are you God's child? Commit yourself to the Lord who judges righteously, and he will take care of it. So this is what Jesus did, and this is what God says he wants us to do. Follow that example. But that wasn't all. Look what he says in verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. What Jesus did was for others. He went through what he did. He bore the sins of all of us and everything we've ever done wrong so that you and I could be healed. It means that one day we won't have this old sinful nature because the payment Christ made on the cross for it gave us eternal life. One day we're going to get a new body to go with this new birth that we have. And we're going to live with the Lord for all eternity. All because of what he did for us. Now hold your place here and look in Matthew and chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. 
there's a little story there that I want you to see. Matthew in chapter 8. And notice what it says in verse 14. Now, some people say that Peter was the first pope. But if you'll notice this, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. So it's a shame that Peter had a mother-in-law and didn't have a wife. But he did. And some people say, well, he was the first pope. Well, the first pope had a wife, but Peter was not the pope. But now notice, she was sick. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and ministered unto them. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Now, before Christ died on the cross, he healed. And all of those who came to him, he healed. And it was fulfilling a prophecy from Isaiah 53. Look what he said in verse 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. This is before he got on the cross, because when this was going on, Christ hasn't died yet. This is what he did while he was here. And he didn't tell us that we could do this, but they were able to do this. Those disciples that he had, but it was limited to the first century disciples. And then he says here, took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. So there is no such thing as healing in the atonement. That when Christ died on the cross, healing is automatic. And therefore, all you got to do is just, uh, you know, claim it and you be healed. No, there's uh, a lot of people that can live a good, clean, righteous life and get sick. And Paul had a problem. And Timothy had a stomach problem. Epaphroditus had a problem. There's a lot of God's people. If, if it wasn't true, then why would anybody die? Everybody dies sooner or later of something, or nobody would get to heaven. So healing is not in the atonement. This is fulfilling that scripture in the Old Testament. So when you read over there in the book of First Peter chapter 2, when it says, and with his stripes we're healed, that's a little bit further down talking about when he made the payment our Sins were placed upon him, and he bore our sins and our transgression, our iniquity. That's the payment he made for us on the cross. So that's the one is mentioned in here, so that you understand that. But now notice in verse 25 of 1 Peter chapter 2. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. Now, we're not talking about the bishop of the body. We're talking about the bishop of the soul. You are a person living in a body. As long as you live in this body, you're going to suffer in this world. But the shepherd and all of us as sheep have a shepherd. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. So it is the will of God that his sheep hear his voice. Well, how can I hear his voice? You walk outside the church and you go, yoo-hoo, where are you? Or you think he's going to call you on the cell phone? No. Well, if you want to hear his voice, you'll have to hear his word. Where in the world is his word? Right here. So you study the word and the shepherd will guide you according to his voice. 
So as you listen to the voice of God, the Word of God is God's mind on paper. So as you study the Bible, you're studying the mind of God. And so you're able to understand what God wants you to do. So as a child of God, He wants you to serve Him, to be an example in this present life. Now, look there now in 1 Peter chapter 3. There is an example here given, not only of Christ's example, but the example of a wife, an example of a husband. You see there in verse 1 of chapter 3, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection. I'll look down there in verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. So it's not just to the wife and not just to the husband, but it's to every husband, every wife. It's a good example because isn't the most important place our Christianity should show is in our home, to each other, the way we really are. That's why they're the hardest ones to please because they know us the way we really are. We can go to church and put on that Christian smile and fool everybody and, you know, it's all happy and la, la, la. You go home and it's, uh, you know, war. But you have to be careful so now he's going to take and give you some examples of what he's talking about when he used himself. When Christ was the example, you'll see some of those same things that he had, he wants applied. So in verse 1, notice what he says. This is so that the, well, the wife needs to know how the husband feels. Being sensitive to what the husband understands this is a, a woman who knows the Lord, but she's married to a man that doesn't know the Lord. And maybe how that what she goes through, she might be able to win her husband. See, sometimes people just want to get away from them instead of trying to figure out maybe I can win them. And this is what God says. Likewise, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands. Now, I didn't write that line. It's already in the Bible. What does it say? Ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. I wonder what that means. I wonder what that means. It means for the woman to rule the man. You think that's what it means? You'd really have to do some twisting on it, wouldn't you? But it simply means this is a role that a person has to play. It doesn't mean that he, I'm, a, I'm a human. Well, my wife is a human. We're both human. But that doesn't mean I'm a better human than she is. But I happen to be a man. She happens to be a woman. But we're still human. So I am held responsible by God to be the leader of my home. God holds me responsible. That really bothered me for a long time. Because sometimes it's just so easy. Just let the wife be the head. Let her be the boss. And I'll just be quiet and peaceful, just anything for the sake of peace. And so you can become a, a weak little mouse and just, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. Or you can be the head of the home. Now, I'm not talking about being mean, cruel, and all that. I'm talking about if a woman has a husband that's not saved, she can either get away from him, have nothing to do with him. She can treat him mean and ugly and be unkind. Or if she wants to win him, maybe she could be 
in subjection. And notice what he says. He says, if any obey not the word, that means he doesn't believe the word. They also may without the word be won by the behavior, the manner of life, by the wives. In other words, a woman might be able to win her husband by her manner of life. In other words, without just preaching to him. Now, they've got to hear the gospel. You can't be saved without it. But it's the application of it. In other words, the wife should be a good example of a woman in submission to her husband for the gospel's sake. It, in other words, she might be able to win her unbelieving husband. And then notice, he says in verse 2, While they behold your chaste behavior coupled with fear or respect. You see, they want to see how you act, talk, think, believe, and the respect that you also give. The woman should always give respect unto the husband. Respecting her. I can tell you this. Most people do not respect a woman who does not respect her husband. They lose respect. You don't gain it. Well, I'm a woman. I ain't nobody going to tell me what I can and cannot do. Nobody respects you for that. They just know you're rebellious. They'll smile and laugh at you and smile and all of that. But they won't respect you because they know you're out of control. It's a sweet, quiet spirit God's talking about. In other words, not one of revenge or get even, none of that stuff, no. Because he said, now be an example. That's why that word, first word up here in that verse is likewise. Well, who did we just finish talking about? Christ in chapter 2, right? We just talked about Christ. Likewise, this is how you use the book. Now look what he says. In verse 3, he says, whose adorning... Let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair, of wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel. And so there's some people that say that, see there, you're not supposed to plait your hair, and you're not supposed to wear all this gold and earrings and all that kind of stuff. And so they use that verse. Well, if you're going to go that far, you might as well read the rest of it. It says also, or putting on of apparel. So you're going to run around naked? No, he said, that's not the point. That's not what will hold a man. The outward beauty is good, but it doesn't last long. Remember the hourglass figure? The sand goes to the bottom sooner or later. It's not that that physical attraction is not what's going to make a marriage. Otherwise, the happiest people in the world would be the Hollywood stars. Why, they get getting a new one every other week. Why? Because they're not happy. It doesn't work. Just because they've got money doesn't satisfy. And just because you've got good looks doesn't hold a marriage. No. Have you ever noticed that sometimes a good-looking woman will marry an ugly guy? Look around. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> a good-looking woman will marry an ugly guy because he knows he has to treat her nice. And the other one, they, they can treat him like dirt. But if you treat him nice, a woman just wants to be treated with respect and a little honor, dignity. Shouldn't we treat it like, uh, you, know, you know, she's dirt? She's not. There's a thing that God tells us to do concerning the women, and if we did what God says to do, a woman just responds. She responds to the man's right foot. But if you treat them wrong, they curl up like a rattlesnake and bite back, and there's poison in them teeth. Poison. God's Word describes it like that, too. But look what he says in verse 4. But let it be, you get this, 
In other words, it's not the way you wear your hair. It's not going to be the dress. It's not going to be the silver and the gold you put on. That, that makes a marriage. That wins a man. You may get him, but that won't keep him. Because other girls got the same thing you got. So he's talking about here in verse 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. And that which is not corruptible. Talking about the new birth. The inward beauty that a person has. In other words, this new birth that you have born of God. You're God's child. And what he's talking about, look there in verse 23 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So there is this new person. Then you look down in verse 1 of chapter 2, or excuse me, verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. This new person, this child of God, let them see that one. Don't let them see that child of the flesh with all of your sinful nature. Let them see the the divine nature that God gave to you. Let him see your graciousness, your kindness, your sweet tone, and the honeydew just drips off of your lips. And you see, a man will respond when a woman really loves him and honors him. But you have to, and you should always honor your husband. What you say and what you do should bring honor to that man you married. So whatever it is, don't say, well, I'd be nicer if I had somebody else. No, if you can't do the one you have that way, you don't do somebody else that way. You do right by the one you have. And if they mess up, then they mess up. But make sure you are doing what's right. You can't always solve all the problems. And you're going to suffer sometimes. You'll do the right thing, and you'll suffer for it. Look what else he says. He says in verse 4, the last part of verse 4, even the ornament of a, get this, a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price, a meek and a quiet spirit. Now, you think he's talking about attitudes and so forth? Kind of like if somebody doesn't do you right, how do you respond? Explode? Get a ball bat? Throw dishes? Curse them out? Now, is that what Christ did to the people who wronged him? So you have a good example, and that is of Christ. So if every woman did what she's supposed to do, that's a good example. And every man did that, which was be a good example. You know, the kids would learn from the parents. And wouldn't we have a, a different world when everybody just loved everybody like they should? But now get this. You'll notice when he says here in verse 5, for after this manner in the old time, the old time, now they're getting back to the old ways. The holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. How did they adorn themselves? Being in subjection unto their own husbands. Now, this is totally opposite of today's marriages. That's why so many marriages fall apart. Because the husband is not like he's supposed to be. The woman is not like she's supposed to be. Even in Christianity. And so the home disintegrates. Wouldn't it be neat that you had a husband and a wife and they loved each other and they were good examples for other people to follow. Well, this is the way it's supposed to be. But we're all 
We all got to know sinful nature. We don't always respond the right way. We can't always be that right example because we just got to get even. But can you commit yourself to him that judgeth righteously? In other words, regardless of what he may do or she may do, you treat him right anyway. And you do right what God says. And you'll be surprised how God will bless you for it. You'll win in the long run. But notice what else he says here. In verse 6, even as Sarah. So here's another example of a godly woman in the Old Testament. You see, he's given us reasons on why we should be the way God wants us to be. For example, Abraham in the Old Testament, well, he was married. Look what he did. Even as Sarah, and you ought to underline, obeyed Abraham. Obeyed. Calling him Lord whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Don't be shocked at what God requires you to do or how he wants you to be. You may be shocked at the response. It may work. Give God's way a chance. Let God's word at least get a hearing. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter, in the very first chapter, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold and silver, though it be tried with fire, may be found in the praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Your faith is on trial. And there's no place that tries your faith like a home relationship, like husband and wives. You know, the Bible doesn't have to say an awful lot about, you know, marriage counseling. You know, you have people who are professional marriage counselors. I, I believe all people need is biblical counseling. Just, you've got the Bible, and is the Bible sufficient for whatever we need? If it's not suitable, it, if it doesn't meet every need, then it's incomplete. But I believe that when you want to understand, when I went to Florida Bible College years ago, I had people say, well, we never really got much teaching on the family. It was always about reaching teenagers and getting kids to camp and getting them to dedicate their lives to the Lord and blah, 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 blah. But we didn't have much on the family. Now, I listened to a few of the students that uh, kind of rehearsed some of this at one of the reunions that we had. So I listened to them for a while, and I said, just, just let them talk. And then I said, look, uh, you don't mind if I say a word? Oh, no, 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 go ahead. I knew they were just chapping at the bits, wanting to know what I thought. I says, I went to the same college you did. I heard the same thing y'all heard. I said that the best teaching I got on the Christian life was the two natures. I said, it helped me to understand why I do what I do. I have an old sinful nature that I was born with in this world. So I know why I do what I do, the lust of the flesh. And then I trusted Christ as my Savior, and God gave me a, a new birth. It's not this one, redone. It was a new birth, totally different from the flesh. Gave me a spiritual birth. I was born into God's family. So I've been born twice. I says, my problems and everybody else's problems is the flesh. But we were also told the way to control the flesh and the lust of the flesh is by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in your new birth. 
So I have the answer to the sin problem. So I don't know where y'all coming from, I says, but I got all the teaching that I needed. Because even in a marriage situation, I've got a new birth and I got an old one. And if I want to please the Lord, I know I'm supposed to walk in the Spirit. I'm supposed to let the Lord control my life. So if God loves my wife, how does God want me to treat her? Well, if uh, she loves the Lord, then how does God want her to treat me? But do we both have an old sinful nature? Yeah. And so every once in a while it may flare up, but this is stronger than this one. So I said, nobody can live the Christian life for you. If you understand the principle God's laid down in his word, you'll find out that God does deal with marriage and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. You read the book of Ephesians in chapter five talks about be not filled with wine, but be you filled with the Holy Spirit. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You see, even in the book of 1 Peter, it talks about the servants. See, there, look in chapter 2. Look up there in verse 18. Servants, be what? Subject to your own masters with all fear. So you see, it breaks it down and says, now look, if you're working for somebody, it's a submission to authority. See, God has people that they're in authority and you work for them. There's got to be authority everywhere. And in the home, you've got to have an authority. Who's in charge? And then you've got to have with an individual, your own personal life. Who is in charge of you? Who is in charge of you? Are you your own authority or is God the authority? So you read that and you understand. Now look what he says in verse 7. Verse 7 real quick. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, the knowledge is not just human knowledge. The knowledge is understanding the Word of God and understanding where they're coming from. Your wife, she has a sinful nature too. And the last thing you want to do is stir up that old sinful nature. Can it be possible that you could cause them by saying something or doing something that can cause them to flare up and strike back? We all have it, and we all do it. But the Bible says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. And you may have lived long enough to find out that there's not enough knowledge that you can gain in order to solve every problem with a woman. As soon as you think you didn't found the answer, they didn't change the question. But they are always fluctuating. They fluctuate. They, they are more... And now, women don't get mad at me now, but they're more emotional than the men are. Men, we're just, you know, just, just the facts. And a woman wants to, well, well, how you feel? And always about the feeling. I said, get a grip, get a life, get over it. <laughs> and some people, they hurt. And so it's good that God has made us different because, you see, what I'm lacking, Betty has. And whatever she's lacking, I have. So between the two of us, we, we make a pretty good pair. So that's just about the way it is. But now look again in verse 7, because it's so important, this verse. Even as uh, it says, Ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. As unto the weaker vessel. It doesn't mean she is the weaker vessel. She'll make you think she is. But you ever seen a man when he has a, a fever? Well, he has to go to bed. He can't move. 
He can't do anything for himself. And the wife has got to go get everything for him. And when she gets sick, she still has to look after him. And that's why whenever, you know, Betty gets sick and the dishes pile up, I just tell, look, don't you dare touch one dish. They can wait till you get well. <laughs> so. But now notice the last part of this verse. It's very important. He says, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. You see, whenever a man and a woman, they both have eternal life. They both belong to the Lord. Betty belongs to the Lord. I belong to the Lord. And we're both recipients of this salvation by grace. We have eternal life. We're going to live together in heaven. She actually says we're going to die at the same time. I said, well, what if the Lord decides to take you and leave me here? He's not. We're going together at the same time. Now, that bothers me just a little bit. I thought, listen, I don't want to live down here forever. I just want to stay here long enough to bury all the rest of y'all, and then I'll be ready to go. But one of these days, we're going to be gone out of here. We're going to fly away. I'll fly away, oh, glory. But now, the reason for the husband and the wife getting along and honoring each other the way you should, look at the last part of that verse. Lest your prayers be what? Hindered. In other words, God not going to answer your prayers. And you want God to answer your prayers. And the reason for that being so important, I want you to just look at this real quickly. You'll notice in verse 8, finally, be you all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. That means being full of pity, don't be pitiful. You know, so a lot of people I know are pitiful. But not rendering, get this, not rendering evil for evil. This is what we was talking about with Christ just in the previous chapter. The example, this is what Christ, he says, but contrarywise, bless him, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. See, God wants to bless your life. And in marriage, there might be a little suffering to go along with it. But learn that if you suffer, you suffer because you did what was right, not because you did that which was wrong. And then he makes this statement in verse 10. For he that will love or enjoy life and see good days, but to keep wife happy, give her the credit card and send her to the store, let her go shopping. <laughs> so let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips that speak no guile, means no deceit. Remember, he just talked about that with Christ in the previous chapter. In whom is no guile, no deceit. What well, God is using that as an example because he is our example, and that when we talk to one another, we love each other, you don't try to be deceitful to one another. Always be honest, be above board, always speak the truth. Let him eschew or shun evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil." If you do that, which God tells you not to do, then you are realizing God is against them. If there's anything you want in your life, is God to be for you in what you're doing. And the best way to take care of that is to make sure you are for what God is doing. You want God's blessings upon you. 
And if you'll do what God says to do, God will bless your life and just trust him. Trust him. And you just might be amazed, as he says up there in that one verse that we looked at just a second ago, with amazement, amazement. See the last part of verse 6? You'll be amazed at what God can do. You'll be amazed at how happy your marriage can be. How wonderful. I would never want this to happen. I would hate to think there is another man in this world that it could have been a better husband than I've been. Now, he may be. I hope I never see him. But I figure if I treat her like a queen, she'll treat me like a king. So far, it's working so good. Now, tomorrow we'll probably be getting a divorce. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but you learn to live with each other. And then next thing you know, all of a sudden, you didn't grow old together. And that's the, one of the best things, growing old together. In other words, you don't want to get to the top of a mountain and you're, you're sitting there all alone. Nobody with you. You're all alone. It's wonderful if you go together and you've got to go around uh, some big boulders and there's been a lot of little loose gravel and you lose your footing once in a while. And, and it's good to have a, a help me to kind of help you up a little bit. It's very important. Look up here. Letting this hand represent you and me. Because he talks about the grace of life, the grace of eternal life. And that's one of the most thing, important things in all the world. And that's why we can win people to Christ because of the way we are. And we can turn people off to the things of the Lord by the way that we are. God wants to use us in this life. And you may suffer because you did what was right. And people will defraud you and they'll take advantage of you and they'll shame you and all the rest of it. But you already know the end results is that God keeps the books. Commit yourself to him that judgeth righteously. And you won't lose. You can't lose. This is you and me. This is sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Now, he hates our sin, but he loves us. And for you and I to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in a literal fire burning hell. But God loves us. wants us to go to heaven. To go to heaven, we have to be perfect. But nobody's perfect. We're all sinners. And we got to pay for it to be separated from God. So God says you cannot save yourself. You can't deliver yourself. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us. Hates our sin because it separates us from him. Well, what Christ did for us was he took all the sin of all the world and paid for it on the cross. Came back from the dead. And it says the only thing he wants us to do is believe that he did that for us. So when I believe that he did it for me. He put that payment to my account. I got a payment for all my sins. If I got a payment for all of my sins, I have no sins to pay for. That's why I can't go to hell because I don't have any sins to pay for. He paid for all of mine. So I'm going to heaven because of what he did. And God said he will save whosoever believeth. Whoever would believe it, he will save them, give them eternal life, and they can get to go to heaven. That's why he calls it by grace. Grace means undeserved mercy. You don't deserve it. No one has ever lived good enough to deserve going to heaven. Anyone who's trying to save themselves by their good works can't have it because it's a gift. It's free. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, why not right where you are just talk to the Lord? Or if you're watching by internet, right there on the screen says, Yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. And if you will trust the Lord, I pray that you will just click it on and let us know that you trust the Lord. 
If you're here in the auditorium and you never trust the Lord, why not right now in the quietness of this moment just talk to the Lord and say something simple like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Christ died, believe he paid for my sins, and I'm going to trust him right now as my Savior. Friend, if you will, would you trust him? God said if you will, it will give you eternal life. You become his child. You can know that you're going to heaven when you die. So with his bowed eyes closed, would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Anyone at all? Say, yes, pray for me. I will trust Christ as my Savior tonight. Anyone at all? Yes, God bless you, buddy. Anyone else? If you trust Christ as your Savior tonight, God saves you tonight, right now. Gives you eternal life tonight, right now. When you get up to leave, you can say, I know I'm going to heaven because Christ paid for all my sins. He loves you that much. Our Father, we thank you so much for your blessings to us. We thank you for your word that you've given. Some of it, Lord, is kind of hard to swallow, kind of hard to put into practice. But, Father, we can do all things for you. And we ask now your blessings upon the one that indicated by an uplifted hand that they would trust your Savior, that you would help them to see the importance of studying your word and going to a good Bible-believing and teaching church, telling somebody else what you did for them, meeting with other Christians so they can have good fellowship. We commit this night to you. Thank you for all you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.